Hey, everybody, it is Trags, and this week on episode four of Jungle Roar, a Cincy football podcast, we'll talk about those making the biggest impressions in training camp and the latest on our impressions of the one and only Joe Burrow as the Bengals prepare this week for their preseason opener down in Tampa Bay against the defending Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Today, I welcome James Rapine of SI Now covering all things Bengals. You can follow him at allbengals.com. He has the only daily podcast covering the Bengals, Locked On Bengals. You are one busy man, James. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, happy, happy to be down at uh, Paul Brown Stadium uh, for a training camp uh, this year. It has uh, been really about all about Joe Burrow, right? I mean, how is he looking and <laughs> Is his knee going to stand up to the pressure of, you know, just eight months removed from an ACL reconstruction? Look, I don't think we're really going to know anything, James, until he hits the field in game competition, whether that's the preseason finale at PBS against the Miami Dolphins, whether it's week one against Minnesota on September 12th. I don't think we're really going to know how comfortable Joe Burrow feels in that pocket until we see live bullets flying. Absolutely. I, I, I agree. And that's why, to me, I would play him in the preseason. That's a debate that a lot of people have been having. And I think he wants that. He needs that. And you may say, well, it doesn't matter. Let him be rusty going into week one. I don't want him to, to be rusty or feel uncomfortable at all going into that debut game because that defense for the Vikings and Mike Zimmer and Patrick Peterson and all those guys over yeah. there, uh, Danielle Hunter, right? They're going to want to uh, get after him. And I want him to feel completely comfortable. And so, yeah, it's all about Joe Burrow. You can scheme up something where he's you know not in danger, but he's taking a couple snaps. He's got live reps in the preseason. But yeah, I would, I would play him. And maybe it's not until week three of the preseason with two weeks out. Uh, from that that opener but uh, yeah I would consider doing that for three six maybe seven snaps something like that or a drive max if things go well and uh, and see how it lands but I I agree with you I think they got to find a way to get him completely comfortable and he's not all the way there yet so full disclosure had Dan Hort on a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about how it would be very unlikely that the Bengals management would want to take any risk in the preseason of playing Joe Burrow Mm -hmm. uh, my attitude in that regard, based on what you just said, based on what I've seen in two weeks of training camp down uh, at PBS, has changed. I definitely think that he needs one to two series tops. That's it. Just get some live bullets flying around him, like we said. It's more to me, James Rapine, about Joe Burrow's mental outlook and his mental comfort playing the game than it is his physical ability. We all know he can read the field. I asked him about that, as, as you know, on, on Saturday. I asked him about his ability to read the field. That hasn't changed. His arm strength has improved. It's not just stayed the same. It's improved. To me, this is about does he really feel confident, not only stepping back in the pocket, but with the offensive line being restructured the way it is? Who knows what it's going to look like, and we'll get to that in a moment. But it is about his mental outlook going into the season. That's why it's important to have him play at least one game, play a couple of reps maybe against Miami, and then let him go into that Minnesota game. Because for what rankings are worth, you can put any value on it you want. The athletic ranked the Minnesota defense as numero uno in the National Football League going into the season. 
Wow. Yeah. And, and so that's a, a good point. And Bengals fans know what Mike Zimmer brings to the table. And after last year in Minnesota, where the defense wasn't up to par uh, as what they're used to and up to that standard, they're going to be hungry. And I, I agree with you. It's the mental side. I think physically it's there. I think the knee yeah. is fine. We talked I think about that run. in camp together. We've talked yeah, about that. And, and, and it's how can you get him to a point where he's not worried or thinking uh, and can just react and can just play his game. And if that means playing him in the preseason, look, I get not wanting to risk it, right? Starting Saturday, which would be such a quick turnaround if he played against Tampa Bay. But at some point, he's going to have to play anyway. So if is there really a big difference from September 12th or August 28th if he's been fully cleared and he'll have been fully right. cleared for a month uh, on August 28th? If he goes out there and plays, I get it. You don't want him to get hurt, but I don't think physically anything's going to change from August 28th to uh, you know September 12th. It's the mental side, like you mentioned, and mentally, I think he's going to need at least a couple snaps, take a hit, like he said, even though everyone's flinching, including me, about the idea of him taking a hit in a meaningless preseason game so he can be ready for week one. But truth be told, look, if he's going to be taking hits anyway once the season begins – and mm-hmm. he doesn't feel comfortable. What's the difference? I mean, if you're playing him in, in a regular season game number one, and he's that worried about his knee, then he's eventually going to going to expose himself in one of the early regular season games as it is. You might as well get him prepared in the preseason, at least one game. And I think now I've talked myself into being convinced that he's going to play in that preseason finale at Paul Brown Stadium familiar environment fans will be there i think actually i think it'll be a pretty well attended preseason game because it's the only one uh, at paul brown this year of course um i'm convinced he'll play look on saturday he went i think it was nine of ten for 71 yards uh Mm -hmm. and on one drive he looked good right when he drove down the field um you and me were both on the sideline and after that first uh series it did not look great it did not look good at all. They were third and long. Um, he couldn't convert. Uh, there was, uh, you know, the inability to catch a ball, I think, down on the sideline. Um, but in that second drive, it was more the Joe Burrow we've come to know. There was a great pass on fourth down that he completed, I believe, to T. Higgins down to about the six-yard line. What were your impressions of that, um, all, all things considered, a scrimmage on Saturday? I think it was a step in the right direction in the fact that Joe talked before practice and admitted that he was still working through some things. He was very honest with us and then went out there and performed that way. I think it was a good step, a big step in the right direction because that's the best we've seen him look during team, any kind of team stuff really, but certainly 11-on-11s all training camp. And if he does that, that's the thing here. I think it's a sliding scale because I came into training camp saying no to preseason. Why would you risk it? And then I saw him, and he admits he had mentally. So now I flipped it. I think he does need some preseason reps. But if he has multiple 11-on-11 periods and not just drives, because you're right, they had three drives at the first team, and only one resulted in points. Only one was successful. But if he sustains this level of play in the preseason and mentally he feels like, or in camp, and mentally he feels like he is there, then maybe you slide it back the other way and say, hey, we don't need him to get these reps. He feels good. But we haven't seen it consistently. And that's one why I think Saturday was so important. It helps build some confidence. 
and they didn't really do much team stuff on Sunday, more of a special teams day. So we'll see if that he can build on that into Tuesday's practice and maybe into Wednesday because that's the key to me. Can he look like the Joe we know? Because I think he's better mentally in reading the field and all that stuff than he was last year just based on experience. You mentioned the arm strength. So to me, he should be doing better against an improved defense so far, but he should be playing better. And can he string together these days, these Uh, Instead of struggling for four days straight and then having a good day, can it be the other way? Four days of good, and then eh, maybe they struggle a little bit. That's what we need to see. So can he be consistent with it? But I thought Saturday was a step in the right direction. So with all the talk, James Rapine, talking with James Rapine of SI Now and uh, allbengals.com. James, there's been a lot talked, uh, written, I should say, about uh, Joe Burrow and how he looks, how he feels. That's not the question in my mind. I think Joe Burrow is going to be fine. I think he's going to be great given the time to throw. Given the time to throw is the big (laughs) if there. And you know where I'm going with this. My concern going into the season is the consistency and the makeup of the guys up front, in front of him, protecting him. And will it be good enough? Will it be substantially improved upon uh, over last year for him to stay in that pocket make the throws he's got to make, you know, a couple of the overthrows this uh, this camp so far to me, and I asked Brian Callahan about this, and he said maybe that's reading a bit too much into it. But when you release the ball uh, and make overthrows and you release it too early, um, that's to me a sign of he's got to get rid of the ball before the pressure comes. A more comfortable quarterback, comfortable with his offensive line, holds on to the ball sometimes till the very last second and then releases the ball when he wants to. And I'm just not convinced right now that Burrow has the confidence up front that he needs to have. I don't know how you could. I don't know of anyone that's really confident in this offensive line. And, and why would you be? And, and that's the part that, that really bothers me because I, I liked a lot of the moves the Bengals made this offseason. And I understood taking Jamar Chase. This I did too. Just amazing weapon. But you didn't do enough in free agency to shore up one of the worst offensive lines that we've seen in the NFL over the past five years. Five losing seasons, by the way, for the Bengals. And, and so that's, that's where I come back to. They knew they were taking Chase. They knew they had Chase ahead of Sewell during this free agency period in March. They, they did. Now, could things have changed? Absolutely. But I think the plan for weeks before the draft was to take Chase with the fifth pick. So why not bolster the line with, you know, more proven veterans. And they haven't done that. And, you know, the first depth chart came out on Monday and you got Michael Jordan at right guard. Well, Bengals fans can't, like, they can't stomach that. And just look at, look at the, maybe Michael Jordan is much better, right? He's only 23. He was thrust into a bad spot, uh, playing well before he should have. At the same time, everyone's seen the bull rush that happened in Washington at FedEx Field, and it was yeah. Michael Jordan who got yeah. pushed back into Joe Burrow, and that's why Burrow is recovering right now. So the optics alone of that, it's it's shocking to me. And again, we haven't seen Jordan play outside of a, you know, a few full-batted practices. He might be better, but good Lord, that doesn't scream, hey, we're protecting number nine, does it? No, it doesn't, and that's just it. James, is the optics of all of this. It does matter. I mean, if you're a Bengal fan and you're watching this and you're watching your franchise quarterback trying to come back from an ACL, the optics do matter. Mm -hmm. And you want to believe that this quarterback 
and this team is headed in the right direction in year three under Zach Taylor, have they changed their approach, right? I mean, how many times have we heard that over the last couple of years? The Bengals have to change what they're doing, how they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's one position on the field. I get that. But the thing that I, I'm, I'm really concerned about in watching the offensive line is I don't see them winning one-on-one -on -one battles, and I don't see a nastiness. I, I think you were there Sunday when I asked Zach uh, about, is there a nastiness? Do you want to see this offensive line get really nasty and beat up on the other side of the, uh, of the line of scrimmage? And he mm -hmm. kind you know, and, he, and you were there and he gave the answer. He kind of smiled and said, you know, we're taking it one day at a time. We're going to watch each guy, measure each guy individually. And to me, that's not kind of what I want to hear. I want to hear that this offensive line is going to take control and make sure nothing happens to number nine. And they just didn't do enough to, to get there. It's unreasonable to expect Jackson Carmen to bring no. the nastiness. It's unreasonable to expect Penny Sewell to bring the nastiness, right? And, and I agree with you that that mentality uh, of, of having that. Jonah Williams, I think he's going to be a pretty good pro. And we've only seen him for 10 games. But is he nasty? Not really. Riley Reef, is he? No, they're going to do exactly what's asked of them. And I think they're going to play at a relatively high level. But they don't bring that. Quentin Spain, maybe a little bit, but he's not going to lead that room, so to speak. Trey Hopkins is a leader. I wouldn't call him a nasty center. And Michael Jordan, I think people are uh, look at him and they think, ah, oh, that's nasty. That's gross. The fact that he's uh, listed as the starter at right guard. And so I think they have the potential to have a, a decent line. If there are no injuries, if there are, uh, you know, smooth sailing, and, and that's the problem. And to your point, Trags, if they were going to bring in the nasty, I think they should have done that in free agency. And and you could find those guys. I, Matt Filer was a guy. He ended up going to the Chargers three years, $21 million. I thought that was a no-brainer for the Bengals, and it, it did not happen. And there, there are still some guys out there, I think, that they could add that could help them at least a bit. But uh, so far, no dice. It doesn't seem like they're interested. See, and I'm going to bring up, you know, the Patriots like I am want to do. Um, and, and having wa watched that offensive line under Dante Scarnecchia, uh, and obviously uh, this year uh, the Bengals brought back Frank Pollock. Uh, he was here in 2018. Everybody knows about the kind of year that Joe Mixon had under Pollock. But uh, watching Dante Scarnecchia teach and practice toughness at the line of scrimmage, two guys come to mind. Logan Mankins and David Andrews. They are, and people say, David Andrews, uh, you know, a bulldog? Yes. Well, literally a bulldog, but uh, the <laughs> University of Georgia. But they were two guys in the trenches you didn't F with. You just didn't mess with them. And, you know, I think that's what the, the Bengals need to move toward, is they need to move toward, and I want to ask Dave Lapham down the road about this. We see him every day at, at, at camp. You know, you're talking about guys that he played along with, like Max Montoya, obviously Anthony on the left on the left side, but you had guys in the trenches that won the hand-to-hand -hand combat on almost every single snap. And in watching these guys, and, you know, I tweeted out some video of those um, interior line battles on Sunday afternoon and drills. And it was not a great look for Billy Price. It wasn't necessarily a particularly 
good look for Deontay Smith. Deontay, you understand he's a rookie and whatnot, um, but it just looked like to me that the defensive line constantly won those battles. And that just can't happen. It's been the case for five years. It's a broken record. It's, you know, and, and there were so many times, I, and I remember this, like thinking, man, Carl Lawson is going to be this amazing edge rusher. Or Geno Atkins is just, he's going to have a, an Aaron Donald type season. Even though he's an all pro already, he's going to take another step because that's how bad they made these guys look. Right. And and at some point it can't be that. At some point you're going to need to see, and it's not like the offensive line loses every battle. But to your point, there aren't many highlights where it's like, oh, man, did you see that play or did you see that? And when we do say that to each other on the sidelines, it's because Billy Price is getting put on his rear or, you know, a guy's getting blown by in in one-on-ones. And that just, it can't happen. And I, I do think the expectations for Frank Pollock, it's a bit too much considering you, I would you agree brought, with that. Yeah, well, because you brought him in. And I, again, I was on board with taking Chase, but you said, we're not going to take the best offensive lineman in the draft. We're going to pass on him. We're also not going to sign the best offensive lineman or second best offensive lineman in free agency. We're going to get this former first rounder in Riley Reef, who's kind of, I wouldn't even say a journeyman, but he's a veteran. And we're going to get you a second rounder in Jackson Carmen, who a lot of NFL personnel had in the third round, at least outside looking in. And we want you to turn this line around. That's why Michael Jordan's now listed as a starter on the depth chart, right? It's just, it's a lot to ask of a position coach. So we've heard a lot about the wide zone, right? And how that's going to transform what the Bengals are doing. To me, the way I read that based on what we have just spent the last five to seven minutes talking about and vamping about is that they know they can't win the battles in the trenches. They know they can't win hand-to-hand combat in tight spaces, what they're going to try to do is stretch, stretch the line of scrimmage, stretch the line for Joe Mixon. They know he's got first. They know that if they get him in space on the perimeter of the defense, they think that they can give him just enough daylight to get through to the second level. And if they do that, they're in business. Your thoughts? Yeah, look, that's the other part of this offensive line in general is they have not maximize Joe Mixon. And a lot of it has to do with the trench play. And Mixon, if you sat him down and gave him truth serum, he'd say, I have not been utilized to to my, right. uh, or maximized, you know, to, to what I could bring. He thinks he's better than Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook and all these guys in the same draft class as him, Christian McCaffrey, guys that have put up bigger numbers on better teams. He's frustrated because he's like, oh, look, I can show that. I, and when he yep. tells us in his first press conference since injuring his foot in Indianapolis when he mm-hmm. says I'm going to show you guys what I can do this year because I mm-hmm. think I've got big things ahead of me that's him begging to get the ball 25 to 30 20 to 25 to 30 touches a game yeah and to me that that is obviously through the air as much as it is with that wide zone scheme but he, he did run well and here's the crazy part is everyone goes back to 18, 2018, and it's like, oh, he led the AFC in rushing. Well, he didn't even top the 1,200-yard mark. And I'm not being mean to Joe, but like that's just a down year for running backs in the AFC because 1,200 yards should be a given if you're leading a conference in rushing. Wasn't that the year the Le'Veon sat out, I believe? I, be- I believe you're right, too, in 2018. I think that might have been the case. And I don't really care if he tops 1,200 yards. Right. You, he might If he has 1,100 and 500 receiving then that's probably about right and where you want him. 
but it does. It, they need to get Mixon going, especially early when you, one, have some winnable games, at least on paper, and, and you, you got to get momentum rolling in the right direction, and you don't know how Joe's going to play early on. You don't know about this offensive line from a pass-blocking standpoint. Throw them a bone, and hopefully they are nasty enough to have success in this run game. But yeah, I think the key, can Joe Mixon be the Joe Mixon that they said four years, $48 million, you're worth it. Not many running backs are worth it in this day and age. They think he's one of them, and we'll see this year. I think it's a big prove-it year for him, uh, for this, you know, obviously entire staff, but certainly for Joe Mixon to show he's worth that contract. Speaking with James Rapine of allbengals.com, you can follow him on Twitter at allbengals, also at his own personal handle. Uh, that would be James Rapine, all one word. Uh, you want to tell anybody else, uh, tell anybody about uh, something else you're working on, James? Oh, I mean, it's pretty much it. You covered most of it. Uh, also on YouTube, Cincinnati Bengals yes. Talk. It was a uh, something we launched uh, earlier this offseason, and we've had a good reception so far from Bengals fans. So that's that's the other way you can catch me. All right. Uh, let's go back to the defense. We haven't talked any a lot about the defense, and I think if the Bengals are going to be significantly improved uh, in the uh, win-loss total, in the win column, it's going to have to come from the defense. And I think they're capable of doing exactly that. I think the defense is going to shock people. I think people are going to be stunned about how much better and how much improved this defense is, starting with the uh, line up front. Yes, a lot of it is going to be dependent on whether or not they get Larry Ogunjobi uh, back on the field healthy, all thoughts are. And, and I know you wrote about this on allbengals.com uh, that he should not be out of the uh, out of the lineup uh, too long, but they have DJ Reader, um, they have Trey Hendrickson who missed uh, the two weekend practices, but again, that's not a long term deal. Um, and they have a rookie out of Texas, Joseph Asai, and somebody who I was really impressed with on Sunday, Tyler Shelvin. I think this defense, not just the secondary, but up front, is going to be much improved. They need to be. I mean, they were awful at getting to opposing quarterbacks last year, and there were multiple games where they just couldn't stop the run. Game on the line. I think back to week two against the Browns, and Joe Burrow put on his Superman cape and is just going toe-to-toe You know, four days after his NFL debut with this really good Browns team, and the defense couldn't stop Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And they nine straight plays, I believe, they ran the ball yep. and uh, scored the game-clinching touchdown. That can't happen anymore, and it was encouraging to see them. One, they did try to get Carl Lawson and, and keep him, and they were trying to to really pull a, a rabbit out of the hat and get Hendrickson too. It didn't work out that way, but they really like Trey Hendrickson. They like what he can add uh, in, in the rushing, uh, in run defense as well uh, as to the pass rush. Sam Hubbard, obviously, they like. They extended him, but the difference is the depth, and you kind of mentioned it there. I think you bring in... Guys like Joseph Osai and Tyler Shelvin, obviously Larry Ogunjobi is going to start when healthy alongside DJ Reader, and you still got a Mike Daniels, right? You just got you have depth. You do. Cam Sample. You have guys that if you need to rely on them in these different roles, Josh Tupau, you can do that. And in last year, look, Lou Anaruma, I don't think he did a magnificent job by any stretch, 
but they were starting all these defensive linemen that weren't even with them during camp for most of camp. And it was just a, a really tough situation. And, and so hopefully they can get after people and kind of slow down the run because you're going to have to in this division. I mean, Baltimore runs it like crazy and they're really hard to contain. The Browns may have the best roster outside of Tampa Bay or the Chiefs in football. And uh, we know what the Steelers have done to the Bengals over the years. So it's uh, it starts in the trenches for sure. And that's the thing is it feels like there's depth on the defensive line now, even though there's some unproven guys. I don't feel that on the offensive line. And that's going back to our old conversation, you know, right? And and so they did do a good job of addressing the the defensive line for sure. Well, and the other thing that should give Bengals fans, and that's who's listening to this podcast, Jungle Roar, um, the thing that would really make me encouraged about the direction, at least of the defense, is you have Sam Hubbard signed up. You see the free agent acquisitions uh, that have been made, and you have probably the best free safety in football, who I think is going to get signed, if not before. I think he'll be signed before opening day. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say that Katie Blackburn will get that deal done with Jesse Bates um, before the game against Minnesota, and and you'll have two centerpieces of that defense in place long term and i think that gives bengals fans hope that this defense is going to be competitive in the division and and do the kind of things they need to do defensively uh, to win games yeah i i think one i agree with you i think bates is just it's been crazy to see him develop and and where he was when he was drafted and talking to him the day after out of wake forest because i don't think a lot of people knew who jesse bates was no and there were there were some other safeties yeah, and, and there were some other safeties. Uh, Reed, uh, I know in that draft class that, that was getting a lot of run, and we were writing about different safeties because we knew the Bengals wanted one. And they take this kid in Jesse Bates, and he's just exceeded all expectations. And uh, really, is, is I think, left a couple plays on the field last year, which he'll tell you, I think he could have a huge, huge season. And, and when you look at this secondary as a whole in camp, I've been really impressed with how quick they've gelled. Uh, you know, you have three corners who haven't played a down for you. Trey Waynes missed off last year. Chidobe Awuzie, Mike Hilton. And you combine that with a guy like Jesse Bates who can cover so much ground. Man, I think you have a, a really good shot here of, like you said, kind of surprising some people and being better, especially if that pass rush is improved because the, the secondary certainly fits better. I don't know if they're more talented. I think William Jackson III is extremely talented. I don't know if it fit as well as most people would have liked. And I, I think that it's a better fit right now, at least early on. That's how it looks. So I would say with Mike Zimmer and, and certainly with Paul Gunther, right, you saw a lot of blitzing and you saw a lot of slot blitzing. You saw zone blitzes, obviously made famous by Dick LeBeau. Uh, I think you're going to see a defense that, may not be all in on blitzing that much, but I think you're going to see a move back toward that direction at least a little bit. And I think that's going to make Bengal fans a lot happier about Lou Anarumo being more aggressive and and not, and trying to dictate the terms um, on defense. I think you have to, because at the end of the day, they have to find a way to generate a lot more pressure. Not a little bit with their 17 sacks last year, a lot more. It needs to be drastically improved. And that's why you got Mike Hilton. <laughs> you didn't bring in Mike Absolutely. Hilton. Absolutely. Yeah, you didn't bring him in because he's the best slot cover corner. It's because he's the best blitzer at the cornerback position, arguably in the NFL, and he's going to make plays. And that's why you get Von Bell. Again, he's not a great cover player, but he can make plays for you. And Akeem Davis-Gaither, maybe you see him off the edge 
a little bit. And, and Joseph Osai, obviously, is someone that I think they're going to use a decent amount in, in pass rush situations. So absolutely, they're going to have to blitz more. He's going to have to be a, more aggressive. And if I'm this coaching staff, just in general, you're on the hot seat. So go for it. What do you try, have to try, lose? Right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and the other thing is, you when you blitz, and if you do it intelligently, and you have coverage, and I asked this, I think it was of Anarumo early on in camp. When you blitz, you have to know you ha- you trust the guys behind you when you blitz. Mm-hmm. I actually asked yeah. Hilton this. It was Hilton, not Lou Anarumo. And he's like, we have the confidence that we're going to be able to communicate when we go on a blitz that we'll have coverage behind that we're not leaving a gaping hole. And and my long-winded point is here that when you blitz a lot, you're trying to generate points defensively. And again, mm-hmm. if you generate points defensively, you take the pressure off the Bengals' offense and you allow, I think, the offense to hold the ball more, run the ball more, take more time off the clock. I know Zach Taylor wants to throw the ball all over the yard. I get that. But I want to see the Bengals play more complimentary football where they're able to run clock, get a lead early in games, build on the lead, play in that, you know, 10 to 14 point lead area. uh, If you play fundamentally sound in the first half, like they did against the Steelers, like they did against the Titans, that should be the blueprint for the Bengals in 2021. I like it. And I don't think anyone's going to argue that either, because part of why Burrow took so many hits last year was because you asked that bad offensive line to, to block and, and to, to drop back and drop back and drop back and drop back. And so you're right, staying on schedule, not getting behind early and, and being able to execute that. And that's the thing with his defense and something that Luana Rumos talked about time and time and time again. I think it's why a guy like William Jackson III was uh, not in the doghouse, but certainly not a guy that they were going out of their way to pay $13, $14 million a year for, consistency. He preaches. I just want to know what the hell I'm getting from you each day. And that's why Darius Phillips, for his all of his great plays, that's why he's not listed as a starter right now because he has some boneheaded plays and he's inconsistent. And if this secondary can be consistent, this pass rush and defense as well can be consistent, then you're right. You can play that complimentary football. And that doesn't mean you're not going to get into shootouts. Of course you are. There's going to be times in today's NFL that that happens, but it shouldn't happen every week. Right. And I think going into this year, there's so much pressure on the offense to get to that 30 point mark or 28 point mark. And if you could just say, hey, Joe, get us to 24 points. Right. That's a good number. Get us to 24 points and we're going to be in the game. You don't have to top 30 every week. It just takes pressure off of Zach, who's going to feel a lot of pressure and the rest of this offense. I would agree. And I, I, be curious to see how Joe Burrow would take that news. If you sat him down and gave, like you said with Mixon, give Joe Burrow truth serum and say, Joe, do you want to play a ball control type of offense or do you want to throw it all over the yard? I, I'm, I think part of him wants to throw it all over the yard. I've got, you know, I've got this Ferrari. I want to take it out on the racetrack, but mm-hmm. you don't have to, you know, go on the racetrack every single Sunday. Maybe some days you just spend the day in the shop and just come away with a workmanlike victory. That, if I'm Zach Taylor, that's and, and Brian Callahan to a lesser degree, but if I'm Zach Taylor, that's what I'm telling Joe Burrow. And that's what 
a lot of these quarterbacks did earlier in their career. You obviously, if we go way back, the Patriots and Brady, that's exactly what they were, right? right? It was defense that's a and great ranking. point. That's a great, great point, James. Russell Wilson in Seattle, right? I mean, I mean, so I'm not talking about, you know, Andy Dalton's of the world. I'm talking about legitimate Hall of Fame quarterbacks that early in their career, they weren't asked to do everything. And I think if you gave Burrow truth serum, he's like, look, I want to win. I think that's what it will come down to. Now, he might want to throw it 40 times a game, but if it's 30 times or 32 times. Or 65. Oh, yeah, which, again, ridiculous, right? Uh, I think he's going to take whatever ends in a W and be happy with that. And I think that 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 should be the blueprint for this team. Now, can, can it work that way? Will it work that way? I don't know, because if you get down in games, you're going to have a coach who at right now is 625 and one. And if that second number gets bigger and bigger and bigger, he's going to be coaching for his job and that seat's going to get hotter and hotter and he's going to drop back or do whatever he can to keep it. Well, uh, we've touched on a lot of things here, (laughs) James, and I really appreciate your time. I know you are one busy man covering uh, the Cincinnati Bengals for all Bengals.com, SINow.com. Uh, you have Locked On Bengals, the only daily podcast covering your stripes. Um, I really appreciate the time. It's been really a thrill. And this, of course, being my first year on the beat, I'm looking forward to uh, covering this team, getting to know everybody and seeing if this Bengal team can turn a corner. Because I, I think it's capable of doing that, James, but um, they're going to have to play complimentary football. They cannot come out and try to light the world on fire. No, you're right. I agree with you. I agree with the blueprint. I'm glad that you're here in town and uh, and covering the Bengals. It's fun to see you at camp every day, and uh, I appreciate you having me on. You bet, James. James Rapine covering the Bengals for allbengals.com and sinow.com. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode and downloading this episode of Jungle War Podcast. You can download it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I want to thank again James Rapine of SI Now covering the Bengals for joining me. For James Rapine, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Jungle War Podcast.